Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Grad Chat. It's been a few weeks since the last episode, and somehow it feels like it was yesterday, but also six months ago. Uh, but we're super excited to be back with you and to be talking today about the really interesting period of time in your life where you are finally getting done with grad school and then suddenly trying to figure out what exactly happens next? And the thing is, is that those two pieces really overlap. So my name is Susanna Harris, and I'm going to kick it over to Faye to introduce our amazing guest of the day. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Grad Chat. Our topic today is planning a career, and our guest today is Dr. Matthew Fasciani, and he is currently a postdoc researcher at Vanderbilt University. He just graduated with wow. his PhD in sociology from the University of South Carolina this summer. And before that, he was in a different PhD program studying cognitive neuroscience before changing fields. So welcome, Matthew. If you want to say a few words about yourself and why you're interested in talking about planning a career with us today. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you so much for introducing me and inviting me to your show. It's so great to talk to you both. And basically I'd like to share what I went through this past year because it was definitely a stressful and challenging experience. And if I can offer any sort of advice or guidance in any way to anyone currently navigating the job market and finishing up their PhD, then I would definitely like to do that. Awesome. Do you want to start so us we, out with questions, Faye? I think we have a whole bunch. Oh, a whole bunch. I guess, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fun. I always love doing the takeovers because, you know, we have our questions, but then it's like, you know, then, then other people point out things that I would have never asked, but really wish I would have. Um, and here's one. So sure. one of those first questions is uh, how, how can a person or how did you practice self-care while on the job market? We all know that this is an extremely stressful time yeah. um, and self-care might be pretty low on the list. Do you have any tips for folks? Yeah, that's a big one. Honestly, that might be one of the most important things to consider uh, throughout grad school and particularly on the job market, especially if you're finishing up your dissertation while you're doing the job market uh, adventure. As far as actual tips, uh, one big thing I think is to not, as best you can, try not to keep checking for updates. That's one of the first things I'll start. So as soon as you send off your application, just try to forget about it. <laughs> I know it's hard, but it's only gonna cause more anxiety if you keep checking like all the websites, all the, the rumor websites about like if the flyouts or interviews already taken place, it's really tempting to do that, but it, it doesn't help. And there's nothing you can do about it anyway, right? So I think that's the first thing that I kind of try to do that, not always successfully, but I think that's like the first broad tip I would give. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to that really big self-care key of accepting what you don't have control over that, you know, worrying about it, it's not, it doesn't change that outcome. But like you said, definitely yeah. easier to, uh, to say you're going to do that than to actually do it. Yeah, yeah. So as best you can, I would say. Um, and then, yeah, just any sort of other general self-care, make sure you're trying to be as, as the best place you can be before going into it, because it's going to be tough. I mean, even if you're in a, a great mental health place going into it, it's still going to take you down. <laughs> so just trying to be aware of that and be as proactive as you can be, I think will will be a, a good 
a good uh, attempt at going at it. I mean, because, you know, people make it through it and you can make it through as well, but it's important to be mindful of how much stress is going to be involved too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh yeah. I, I, I just got through this part too. And I got, I got some questions the other day on a panel of, of how to do this. And I was like, well, I mean, but the thing is, is that you've, you've had to, you know, you and I have chatted before this, that, learning to go through grad school and I think we'll get to this in some questions but a lot of the learning you do is how to practice self-care when it feels like it's impossible right absolutely so I think that's important to reflect on is you've already done so much and you've already accomplished so much and this is just taking it a step further in some ways but try to reflect on other times when you know it seemed really difficult like starting grad school is really overwhelming for example and you made it over that so trying to reflect on those accomplishments, I think can be helpful too. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, these are all such great tips. I think it's, if I were to like sum up one of the things that I got out of those points, one, be aware of things that aren't within your control and mm. don't internalize them as a reflection of you. And right. two, try your best, put yourself out there and just be kind to yourself when you are doing the best that you can. There are things you can't control, but I can be kind to myself for, for putting myself out there. And I think that's so important to explicitly say, because in the moment, it's definitely, there's a lot of struggle and maybe a lot of like negative self-talk when it is a right. tough process to go through. So this is just so important to, to just explicitly talk about. We have, let's see, if we want to go on to some of these other questions that we have, this one says, how do you know what kind of jobs to apply for? And how did you deal with the anxieties around the lack of academic postdocs or jobs or other jobs? Yeah, yeah it's a big one. So for me, I really thought I wanted to be a professor and I still do. I think given my strengths and my passions, that's something that I knew I wanted to apply for. So I applied to basically any kind of tenure track faculty position that was available. And I'm in sociology, so anything that was broadly aligned with my field. Um, then I can talk more about the intricacies of applying to faculty jobs uh, too. But I think really just trying to think about what, what brings you happiness and what you can see yourself doing and just try your best to apply to those. I mean, academia is challenging because there's so few jobs and that is only becoming more true now with COVID. But for me, even though academia has its issues as well, I, I was pretty focused on still trying to go that route, at least for um, the beginning and seeing if I could land anything because it's just super competitive. So I guess another point I'll say kind of related to the last question too is that and kind of what you were saying, Faye, about just try not to taking it personally about the process because there's so many applicants and there's like hundreds of applicants for one spot. So a lot of it's just luck and you might be a great applicant and they may very well want to hire you, but they can only hire one person. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it's just these weird subjective differences like, well, this person published a paper that we think is kind of cool. And that's literally good, might be the difference between who gets a job is just like subjective preferences on one paper. So I just wanted to, to mention that too. Yeah. And um, 
you know, there's, there's some questions here. And so uh, this is a, a great question that came in. It says, is it true that it's harder for social science PhDs to find jobs outside of academia? How can you market your skills? Um, to kind of lead into that though, I, I would love to learn more about how, you know, what even, what kind of jobs exist mm -hmm. for somebody who's coming out of social sciences? Like you're wanting to go towards a professor route, which like, heck yes, we need more awesome people in academia and people who are willing to talk about this. Um, but like, what options even are there? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So I guess I'll kind of briefly summarize kind of the timeline of where I was last year. So the academic job schedule is kind of like a year in advance. So if you're mm -hmm. applying to jobs now, it's for fall 2021. So I applied to those jobs first and <laughs> I got some interviews, which I'll talk, I can talk more about the interviews if people are interested in that. I got close a few times, but I didn't get any offers. Hmm. And then COVID hit in March and I still didn't have any offers. And all of a sudden, all the academic jobs were evaporating. I kept getting emails saying, we're sorry to let you know that the job you applied for is gone and we can't hire anybody anymore. Hmm. So at that point I was like, well, maybe uh, academia isn't a viable choice. And I already knew that it was very difficult anyway. So it wasn't like this too much of a big surprise, but definitely still challenging. So I did spend like a solid month on the non-academic job market because at this point I was like really worried about academic jobs and I spent a lot more time on it because I was already kind of looking for industry jobs, but it was definitely secondary for a while. But for a while, after COVID hit, I started basically, I actually made a resume. So mm -hmm. that's the first, the first tip I'll, I'll start off. Um, that was the first resume I made in years. Like for a while, I just had my CV and I would definitely recommend like looking at other resumes, talking to people in industry and like just trying to convert your CV stuff into resume stuff because the language is different, even though you're basically doing the same stuff. They want to know the skills you've learned in your resume. So that's definitely important. But to finally get to the, the question I was asked, what kind of jobs are there for social scientists? There's a lot of researcher jobs. So for mm -hmm. lots of companies, they want someone to run research on all kinds of things that deal with people. So mm -hmm. it can be like employees, right? So like one of the jobs I applied to was with Google, looking at the happiness and well-being of Google employees to make sure that they're doing better and you know, ultimately more, more productive. That's what they're interested for the bottom line, but they want, they cared about their happiness and well-being of employees. So as a social scientist, I'd go in there and run some studies and um, complete some surveys on you know, how people were feeling and how to improve the work environment. So that's a big part of it. So for any big company, they are going to want social scientists to come in hmm. and improve workplace morale, basically. In addition to that, there's also jobs that you're doing research for the company, not just on the employees, but what the company's interested in. And I did have a couple uh, callbacks with big tech companies. And I had a interview, I actually made it to the interview stage on a couple of these tech companies. Um, one's a major social media platform <laughs> that I won't tell you, but it's very big. Um, it rhymes with... Uh, no, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I don't even know if it matters, but I mean, it was fine. It was a fine experience. Um, they were all very nice, but uh, 
basically the interview was very challenging because it was like a rapid fire stats questions for an hour. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> no. And that's what they wanted. They wanted me to go in and do a bunch of studies and just like really just pump out a lot of research and it, you know, as quick as I can. And that's kind of some of these big tech companies that hire social scientists. It's a very fast paced environment, it's very different than academia. So that's hmm. one thing that I learned. Um, so, and some people may like that. Um, it seemed kind of stressful for me personally. And so, yeah, so definitely bigger companies will also be able to hire um, PhDs like right out of school because they have the resources to kind of train you a little bit too. Mm -hmm. So if you're interested in looking at like specific companies, um, smaller companies, I was told that like they liked my resume, but they just really need someone with industry experience first. So mm -hmm. big tech companies, large company, any type of company, you can look at researcher, data analyst, like search those in Google, Google jobs or higher ed jobs or any sort of, um, you know, search engine that deals with careers and you'll find some. So hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just want, I wanted to follow up with that of like, did you know that these jobs existed before you started looking or how did you find out? Was it just like, okay, LinkedIn, please help. <laughs> uh, a little bit of both. So like most PhDs, you know, the focus really wasn't on non-academic jobs. I, I think that's unfortunate. Part of the process is like for so long, it's just they kind of train you to be a researcher in academia. Um, I did get a little bit of help and I talked to a few different people who were academics and then went into industry and just kind of picked their brain a little bit. Um, and that was really helpful. So I had a, a couple ideas that Basically, I thought tech companies might hire me or at least, you know, have jobs available for me. So I did have an idea to look for, you know, big social media companies. It was kind of the first one I looked at. But yeah, I would definitely learned a lot. And I learned that it's, it's really broad. So again, if you type in researcher jobs and like LinkedIn, you're going to find a lot of people specifically looking for social scientists, both quantitative and qualitative analysis. This is all really insightful. Like I know as someone who's still in grad school and I can really feel that effect of when you're in grad school, there's just not that much talk of non-academia job routes. And there are a lot of questions about like, how do I look for this job? What kind of jobs are out there? What is this interview process looks like? And it does feel like from what I'm hearing, it is a lot of initiative on your end to kind of right. figure out that process. <laughs> Yeah. where in grad school, you're not really prepared to, for example, you mentioned how to write a resume in a way that is fitting for the application process. And there's so many logistics that is so important to talk about and stay informed about during this whole job search. So I think, let's see, one of the questions here is that people are interested in what the interview process looks like, which can differ depending on the job. But I think, I think if you want to speak more about, and you already, I think did speak yeah. a little bit yeah. <laughs> about some of your interview experiences, Yeah. but are there things that you were, that struck you or things that you wish you would have known going into the interview process that would have helped you be more prepared or how, how was the interview yeah. process for you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll break it into academic interviews and non-academic interviews. It might be a little bit easier. 
Um, so I had a couple, uh, so I'll start off at when I was first applying to these academic jobs, I got a few phone interviews. And usually how it goes is you do a phone interview and then if you make it to the next round, there's an on-campus interview or in COVID times, it's just kind of a final interview. Um, so basically the, the phone interviews, they just wanna ask you about your research. And I think the key is to express interest and in why you applied there. So you definitely wanna do your homework um, as far as why you're interested in that school. Um, there's different types of universities, right? So like there's like the big R1 research universities. So you want to sell yourself as a researcher. If you're applying to small liberal arts colleges, you want to sell yourself as someone who really cares about teaching. So that's really important for the interviews to get those points across. As far as the interviews I had, um, they, I didn't really have any too confusing questions. They're pretty straightforward. This one asked me about my research. I will say kind of related to the earlier point about self-care, um, after you do an interview, also just try not to think about it because you may not hear from them for a while. Uh, I'll share a story. Um, this is my first interview. It was a phone interview for a tenure track job at a, a great school on the West Coast. And I thought it went really well. And the person interviewing me on the phone literally told me, this is a really great interview. I think you'll be a great fit for our department. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, wow, that must've went really well. And uh, I didn't hear anything back for about a month. And I found out they you know, sent people out to fly and visit the campus. So I'm like, oh, well, I didn't make it. And I didn't hear anything back for another six months after that until I got a generic rejection email. <laughs> so even if you have like a really great interview, um, you might not hear back and it doesn't feel good, but just to be aware that that's what happens. And sometimes there's like HR reasons why they can't let people know or different reasons for that, or they're just sometimes they're overwhelmed and they don't have an opportunity to email everyone that applies, but definitely be mindful of that. Whenever you do have interviews, um, even if they go well, um, you might not hear back for a long time. And usually that means you didn't get the job. If it's like a month goes by and you didn't hear anything, just move on. <laughs> um, the converse is also true. Sometimes I had an interview, uh, this was in the spring. So I had an interview at another tenure track job and I actually got it to the final stage. So I had my final on-campus interview all scheduled. I was getting my talks ready. I was super excited. It was a great fit. And then they told me the search was suspended due to COVID-19 and they weren't hiring anybody. So that was really crushing. I was really bummed about that. And then I had another interview like the day after I found out about that for a visiting assistant professorship. And I was in a terrible state and I thought I totally bombed the interview, but they invited me to the second round for that job. Um, but I ended up not getting that job anyway. Um, and one of the questions they asked me, it, so for that job, the visiting um, professorship, they asked me, it was supposed to be on campus, but at that point it was COVID times and you could kind of tell the, the uh, professors were adapting, you know, and just trying to like think, think of good questions. <laughs> I remember the first question the professor asked me was, so tell us more about the statistics in your dissertation, like the p-values, effect sizes, and he kind of trailed off. And I'm like, what do you mean? So like, like, I think he didn't really know how to formulate the question and it came out kind of awkward. 
So I don't think I answered it super well because I'm like, I don't remember what the specific p-values of my, my dissertation was. Um, so be, be aware that even though these are professors and you know we look up to them sometimes, like they're still trying to figure stuff out and they have their own stuff going on in their lives. And sometimes they may not be prepared um, or on top of it either. So I don't, so that was kind of a, a smattering of stories. I hope that was kind of helpful. <laughs> I think that was really helpful. I like, I just like that you keep going back to the point of like, don't, don't overthink it. And that, you know, it, it, there's so much that is just totally out of your control and right. that you will never know why they said no. Um, related to mm -hmm. this, we have one from Rob uh, at Phonetical. <laughs> which I have an opinion on this, but asking, is it a good idea to interview, to record your interviews to see how they went or if you could improve? So let's say it's possible, especially right now, you know, you're not going in in person. Right. If you did like a screen cap or, or something else, or even just recorded your voice, um, what would you think about doing something like hmm. that? So you could improve in a Well, if they, so I guess this is assuming they allow you to interview. To, to record the interview because sometimes they specifically say don't record this it's not allowed so, yeah i think that's a big piece right you you mm -hmm. really want to <laughs> that's not a good way to start out a new job yeah um so definitely make sure it's okay um because that could be a tricky thing because sometimes they talk about sensitive information especially again with these um big tech companies i know the one i interviewed with they said, do not record this. Don't tell anybody that like, you know, that you're doing this. Like they wanted to be, <laughs> they wanted to be very uh, secure about it. Um, so yeah, definitely. So assuming you can, let's say you can for, for some reason. Um, I don't know if it'd be that helpful, honestly. Uh, I think it'd be helpful to like, remember what you said and remember what they asked. And then maybe talk yeah. to your advisor about it afterwards and be like, Hey, they asked me about my research and, you know, I said this, uh, how do you think that was a good answer? And maybe your advisor would be like, well, they might've been looking for you to say X, Y, Z. Um, again, this kind of goes into academic versus non-academic jobs because you will talk about your research very differently depending on the job you interview with. Yeah. So for non-academic jobs, you want to be very direct, very uh, concise, and no jargon. So as soon as you start using jargon, they're gonna you're gonna lose them. So don't do that. <laughs> um, but as far as academic jobs, yeah, you definitely want to talk about how your research is important to the academic literature and how you'd be like an exciting hire for them. You sell yourself academically. But again, for non-academic jobs, they don't care about publications at all. They just care about your skill set. So, yeah. yeah, I would say uh, they followed up with like, what is your meaning? Like, what was my opinion? Cause I was like, I have an opinion. <laughs> um, I think it's really hard to focus in an interview, especially in like a video phone interview already. Mm -hmm. And the idea of having an additional thing in my mind of like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm recording this for the future. That would really right. throw me off. I don't know that it would throw everybody off, but you know, definitely what you were saying of like trying to remember it. Um, and if you're, if you're looking to, to improve, I think it's also a really good idea just to practice with an advisor or with somebody, you know, or ideally a career advisor, um, because they are not going to be as critical of you as you probably are of yourself. And they're also going to find pieces that you thought went great. And they're going to be like, not that part. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, Matthew, I like how you brought up that interviews are also so different and that mm -hmm. they're very individualized and that mm -hmm. 
it's nice to, I mean, having the option to record and reflect on how it went can be, can be productive in certain ways, but also keep in mind that interviews can be very different and what worked here might not work right. in a different type of interview. So that's, that's, I think an important point that I didn't immediately think about either, especially as someone who has yet to go through this process of what seeing different interviews are like, or sort of looking for a career. It's mm -hmm. cool. Let's see, we have another question here. So Saad Rasul says, when people leave academia for industry, they are often considered to be greedy <laughs> and brings up that they say, I think there's so much more to industry than just the financial incentive, for example, more research funding, faster pace. So it seems like people are curious about maybe the perception of what different mm. careers are like, and maybe how did that play into your, your journey in planning a career? Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I do think there is some bias in academia against going outside of academia when you finish grad school. Uh, I think it's changing a lot over time, especially with younger faculty, realizing the nature of the job market and how there's just not a lot of academic jobs and it doesn't make sense to prepare everyone for academic jobs. Um, but there is still some people that uh, I know in particular, working for these tech companies again, that's, that's where I have the most experience. That's why I keep talking about it. Um, I know some social scientists will view it as like selling out because you do get paid more if you work for Facebook or Twitter than you would as a, uh, a faculty for a lot of places, especially smaller schools. But there's a lot of advantages too. Like, you know, having more money is definitely an advantage, but sometimes the work-life balance can be better. Uh, you know, you're there nine to five sometimes instead of like, you know, on a tenure clock where you're like really stressed out trying to get tenure. So as far as like the perception, I think it's really unfortunate that there is any kind of bias because I wish faculty in particular would just be happy for their students if they find a career that's meaningful to them. Like that's, that's what it should be about, right? So as best you can, I think just try not to worry about people who are looking down at your choices because ultimately if you're doing something that makes you happy and you're passionate about it, that's what matters as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting of of the kind of push of like, oh, it's, you know, you're a sellout if you go there. But, you know, mm -hmm. what what you were just saying is at no point did you say, and then I realized I could make a lot of money. So then I looked <laughs> at industry. Right. Um, you know, I, I think that, yeah, money is a nice thing. But the other reality is that, like, if, if academia is so great and phenomenal and the only people who leave are like selling out and whatever, uh, it wouldn't make sense that we meet amazing people out in the business world. Mm -hmm. um, right. And if it was such a utopia, why would we wanna keep people in it, right? Like mm -hmm. why, it, it would just be very easy of like, oh, I, I, I wouldn't recommend you go because I think there's some really amazing stuff here versus like those people who leave are, are bad guys. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's definitely something that I've gotten of like, oh, you just didn't care about research anymore. And I'm like, yeah. my job actually allows me to help other researchers. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like the stuff that you were going to do potentially in some companies was actually going to be improving 
people's lives at, mm-hmm. at companies. It's a right. different field, but I don't think, yeah, I certainly didn't hear from you. Like, and then I realized I wanted money. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, it's, I mean, especially if you look at like the, the research, you know, once you make a certain amount of money and you have your financial needs met, um, that's really where, where happiness, uh, seems to have the biggest impact. Um, but yeah, as far as industry jobs, a lot of it, I was just trying to do something that I found that I thought was interesting. So doing research in some capacity or helping people. Um, but I guess, yeah, the, the thing about money, I will say is sometimes there, you get offers that are very low <laughs> and that's, that's where I think it is kind of an issue. Like if you're in school for this long, for example, um, there is a, uh, so I applied to work at a museum. That was another job mm-hmm. that I applied to work at. And I, it sounds great. I mean, it sounds awesome, but it was uh, near San Francisco and they were offering a starting salary, I think of 32,000 a year, which uh, <laughs> it's not livable, right? Like I, they literally couldn't pay rent with that. So they're definitely be mindful of offers that are just too low for your, for your worth as well. Yeah. And I want to make sure that we do ask as well, because so we've talked a lot about like the jobs that you wanted to go to or, or didn't want to go to or whatever, mm-hmm. but could you tell us a little bit more about what your current job yeah. is? Cause <laughs> yeah, I like sure. sort of asked that in email. I was like, no, it's going to be better on my life. I want to know there. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. So I'm so grateful and lucky that I found this, this Vanderbilt job and I'll tell you first how I found it. So Again, this is at the end of my uh, job market journey. Like this was in May. This was after the coronavirus hit and a lot of the jobs were disappearing and I was applying to industry jobs. And how I found out about this job was actually on Twitter. Uh, one of my friends sent me a message. They tagged me in the, the link of the job advertisement on Twitter. So I just want to also say like, for people that are like, oh, Twitter is a waste of time. Like it helped me get a job. <laughs> so. Uh, you can learn a lot and network a lot via social media. Um, and it was this research position at Vanderbilt and it was for the LGBTQ policy lab. And I'm like, oh, that sounds really interesting, but I didn't really have research experience doing LGBTQ stuff. So I'm like, I don't know if they'll even have a chance, but you know, I'm applying to everything at this point. So why not? And I applied and I got the phone interview and then the final interview. And basically they really liked that I had a background in social networks because part of it's looking at how social networks impact the health of LGBTQ folks in the United States, in particular, the Southern United States. So that was really helpful. Um, And even though I haven't studied LGBTQ people, I do belong to that group. So I think that was also helpful to have lived experience as well and being able to talk about that. So I got the job and it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing feeling to finally get a job after <laughs> so many rejections. I mean, I was on the job market for nine, 10 months at that point, And it was just nonstop rejection and getting close and then rejected. And then coronavirus hits and everybody gets rejected. And then I finally get this wonderful job at Vanderbilt University studying a really important thing that I'm really passionate about. And yeah, so more, more details on what I'm doing. So the project we're looking at right now is focused on older LGBT folks 
in particular. So this is a particularly vulnerable group because over time, unfortunately, there's been all these structural disadvantages for gay folks in the United States, uh, you know, not being able to marry, not being able to adopt. So when you get to older age, you already have smaller social networks, but LGBT folks in particular have even more smaller, more vulnerable networks because they don't have long-term partners as much. They don't have kids as much. So on the aggregate, they're more vulnerable to losing uh, their close associates. So one of the studies we're looking at is how that's even uh, more likely to happen after major health events. Mm -hmm. So older people, when they have a major health event, it can shake up their network if they're in the hospital for a while. And what we found is compared to heterosexual individuals, LGBTQ folks are more likely to actually decrease their network after a major health event. So they're already dealing with a health event and they're already dealing with all these uh, other issues and their network, I guess, can't handle that extra additional uh, force. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's one of the papers that I'm working on right now. Um, and then more broadly, what we're interested in is just how aging and social networks interact with the health of queer folk in the Southern United States. And also talking about how that applies to policy too. So sometimes we actually like write policy briefs for Congress people and local state legislators. So yeah, that's what I'm working on now as far as uh, my research. That's so cool. Uh, and so I didn't even know that was like a, a study. Yeah. So that's yeah, cool. no, that's really cool. <laughs> and it, it sounds like it was also something that you weren't explicitly looking for, right? Yeah. It was something that, that popped up that mm -hmm became a really awesome opportunity doing really important work. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so again, to connect it, like it's, it's so, there's so much randomness and luck in the process. And that's one thing I do wanna reiterate um, because this, this job, I mean, other than like a tenure track job that's permanent. So this is a postdoc, so it's temporary. But I mean, it was one of the best positions that um, I could have found that was a postdoc. Like it's a really great university. It's really great people, really interesting work. And I literally just stumbled into it at the end of my <laughs> job market journey. So, you know, if you're feeling disheartened and you're like, ah, like I keep getting these directions and get close and then I get rejected, like you might be, you know, just another couple days from stumbling into a job offer yourself. Yeah. And I think that's like a great message to keep in mind when in the job search that, I mean, it's a theme, we don't know, there's so many things out of our control, there's so many things we won't know, but at the same time, like every day is a new day and you can get a new opportunity, like tomorrow, like, right. <laughs> right? And there's just, yeah. if you're putting yourself out there, doing your best and keeping in mind that there are outside factors, just be kind to yourself knowing that you are, you are doing what you can and you, you are, doing the work to end up in, in something, maybe a really cool new adventure. Yeah, absolutely. So, see, I think, let's see, one of our, I do want to get to this one question that I think is important before we end our grad chat today. And it says, what do you do if your PI isn't supportive of your career choice? Wow, that's a really tough question. 
Uh, I'm so thankful that I had a very supportive PI. Uh, my mentor in grad school was awesome. He was very understanding of what direction I want to go. So I, I feel for that person because I know how important mentorship is in grad school generally. Um, well, I guess I, my follow-up would be what direction do they want to go though? So if you want to be an in industry, your PI doesn't really matter as much because you're leaving academia. So that's the good news. If you want to stay in academia, people are expecting that, you know, they're going to write a strong letter for you, for example. Um, but going outside of academia, you're kind of getting a fresh start in a lot of ways. And I don't think that relationship is going to matter as much because there is a divide between academia and industry. So, so I guess depending on that person, if that person isn't being supported by their advisor to go into industry, um, you know, try their best to get some other kind of advisor, either informally or not, just to kind of get some mentorship. You can reach out to people like I did. I just would send cold emails sometimes to people that were researchers at different companies that had PhDs. And a lot of times they replied and they can give you insight and advice on what to do. So there are people that are just willing to help just because they wanna you know, try to help people. So I would definitely look out for that. Look out for different advisors, look out for informal advisors. And even though it's really challenging, you can definitely make it through it. Yeah. yeah. Always have multiple mentors. And if, yeah. if yours isn't working, it's not you, it's, it's that relationship. Right. Um, so unfortunately we have to wrap up. Um, would love to ask one more question here. It's kind of a combination question. Anna Beatrice says, I intend on starting a PhD soon, would also love to venture into teaching in the future. Is there a particular time you advise to start looking for jobs like as a teaching assistant? Um, so, you know, just in general, when should somebody start looking for jobs? When should we be starting this career process as we're uh, going along? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's never too early to start, to start looking at different career options as long as you're flexible, right? Like you don't want to be too stuck in, like I definitely want to be X, Y, Z job. Um, because as you go through grad school, your interests are going to change. It's a near certainty. So be mindful of that. And you can always just develop relationships and start talking with, you know, asking people about their jobs, what they like, what they don't like. Um, but yeah, you can start modeling um, your grad school career based on your job. I mean, Again, for academia, they want you to have teaching and research experience. But again, for industry jobs, a lot of those same skills transfer. So as long as you're working on a lot of different projects and, and you know, doing lots of different things, a lot of those are gonna transfer for different types of jobs. Mm -hmm. so, so no matter what you're doing, um, you, know, you can try to navigate a certain path. Let's say you wanna be a professor, so you do teaching and research but then you change and you do industry at the last minute, you can still say, hey, I learned all these cool statistical techniques or all these research techniques, or I, I learned how to lead a research team. Like that's really valuable skills for these industry positions. So you can try to model yourself based on the future career that you think. And as far as planning a career, you can think about what you need to do to get that job in the future and what they look for and their applicants. But again, it's okay to be flexible and it's okay to change your mind because a lot of people do. I definitely did several times. 
That's awesome. All right. Well, we're going to let you get back to your regular day and also to exploring your new city. Um, is there anything you want to leave folks with any parting piece of advice uh, just to be like, Hey, whatever. Yeah. Well, so for people on the job market in particular, it's definitely a really challenging time and I feel you and I definitely can relate to being on the COVID market, at least towards the end of it. So just, just try to definitely take care of yourself practice self-care as best you can and work through it and it's going to be okay. Yeah, thank you so much. <sighs> awesome. Well, I guess this wraps up this week's grad chat about planning a career. Thanks so much for being our guest today, Matthew. I think I personally definitely gained a lot of insights about what to expect or how to practice self-care or what the process is like for transitioning and planning a career. So this was awesome. If you are watching this for the first time, this has been Grad Chat and we do Grad Chat live every Saturday, 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, I believe. So if you liked <laughs> what you saw today, join us next week where we'll bring on a new guest and talk about a new topic related to all things academia, grad school, life, mental health, and all those other awesome topics. So awesome. All right. Bye, everybody.